going to have me pondering that for a while. So this is, uh, this is good. If I, uh, if I lose my place preaching today, that's the problem. That's what I'm blaming it on. We are in the last book in the Bible today. We resume. The very last book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation. When we left off, it's been a while, we were back in, bless you, uh, Revelation chapters 4 and 5 in the throne room of heaven. Mission control as the lamb that was slain. Who was the lamb who was slain? Jesus Christ, resurrected, second person of the Trinity. Look at Revelation 5-7 if you have your Bible. Steps forward and says, I am qualified to take the title deed to planet earth. Okay, so uh, that's what happened the last time that we met and Jesus does, receives the title deed of earth, which means now if he's gonna be the king of kings and the Lord of lords and rule and reign, there's some tenants who are gonna have to get convict, evicted, convicted and evicted. Actually, they both work, okay? Uh, the prince of the power of the air, who, who would that be today? Ephesians 2.2 2 says, the prince of the power of the air, he's ruling today, and that would be anybody? Satan. Satan and his demonic armies, uh, they're going to get evicted from their current positions. And that's what this is all about, starting in Revelation chapter 6. Uh, Jesus is going to grab the title deed of earth. That means this fallen, sinful world system is about to end. Give me your eyes. No more abuse, no more war, no more murder, no more disease. Uh, you think of all the, no more, no more of all of the ugly, sad, sinful things are going to be taking place on earth after Jesus grabs a hold of the title deed and evicts Satan and his demonic army and sin from this world. So here's, here's what we left off with last time. Look at verses 8 to 12, because as Jesus grabs the title deed, heaven breaks out and goes nuts. Literally, praise and worship and adoration uh, take hold of heaven. You've got the 24 elders, the four living creatures, and millions of angels breaking out in a glorious new song, and it says it's really loud. So for those of you who don't like loud music, this uh, you may have to, as you enter in, ask Peter for some sound protection because it's going to be really, really loud. Millions and millions are going to go nuts. And it's a glorious, wonderful, brand new song. Um, we're going to look for a lot of weeks about Satan getting evicted. Uh, and this seven-year process is known as, anybody? How many of you are good at Bible trivia? From Revelation 6 to 19, what's that called? Shout it out. It's the tribulation. Uh, Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27. Write that down in your, you have a place where you can put notes. You can look that up later. But it talks about 70 weeks or 70 sets of seven years. Now here's what's interesting. Only 69 of them got used. The 69 weeks runs you right up to Jesus coming to trial with Pontius Pilate, being sentenced to a Roman cross, Jesus going and uh, allowing his blood to be shed 
for our sin problem, Jesus going into the tomb. So the 69 weeks leads you right up to Jesus and the cross, which leaves one set of seven that hasn't been used yet. Are you ready? This is that last set of seven years. Okay, so that's what uh, we're going to be talking about. The lion reclaims planet Earth as his own. And it's a violent process. It's a bloody process. It's kind of gruesome. Parents, this is going to be PG-13 today and for several months to come. Okay, you've been warned. Uh, but it's good stuff to know, but it is, it is, it's pretty blunt and it's pretty gruesome. Uh, what I'd like to do today is to show you that uh, this didn't just start here in Revelation. Jesus talked about it a lot. So if you have your Bible, go to Matthew 24 and uh, slide down to verse 3, okay? Dan's going to put it up here on the wall. And I want to show you that Jesus... Uh, was looking forward to this last set of seven years uh, way back. Uh, Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, uh, uh, when is this going to happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? When when are you going to return and be the lion? We want to know everything. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. I'm going to deceive many. You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We're going to see that. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. You can keep reading on. because you want to get out of here before 1 o'clock, right? Amen. I'm going to slide down to verse 22. Uh, If those days had not been cut short, no one would have survived. It's going to be so bad. But for the sake of the elect, for the sake of followers of Jesus, he he shortened it up. And And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, excuse me, don't believe it. False messiahs, false prophets will appear, perform great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect would be deceived. See, I've told you this ahead of time. And he continues on. Okay, so I just want you to know, Matthew 24 is looking to what we're going to look at starting today in Revelation 6, all the way through Revelation chapter 19. And uh, Jesus was talking. But I want to show you one more verse. Okay, slide down to verse 36, because I like this. Uh, because uh, he, he, here's, here's what, but about that day or about that hour, uh, no one knows exactly when I'm going to return. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Okay, now I'm going to ask you, this, this is pretty simple. Who knows the date of Christ's return to earth? And the answer is, only God the Father. Only God the Father. And it's surprising to me how many uh, godly, smart followers of Jesus haven't paid attention to that verse. And they've decided, I'm pretty sure I know that he's going to return in 1988 or 1991. And and, and you know what? Every time they are what? Wrong. And, And if you think you know the date, or more importantly... If you have someone tell you, well, here's when Jesus is going to return, 
then you can say to them, if you're bold, or say to yourself, uh, then you're saying you know more than Jesus or his angels. And I know that you don't know more than Jesus, and I know you don't know more than his angels, so therefore I know you're wrong. And just personally, I think if even someone picked the date and they were right, I think Jesus would change the date just to show them that they're wrong. That's just me, okay? That's where sovereignty comes into it. But anyway, uh, no one knows the date other than God the Father. Now, could, Jesus could know it, but he chooses, I'm going to trust you, Father. When it's ready, send me. I'm ready to go, is basically how it works. Um, before we get to Revelation, one more stop. Go to Acts chapter 1. God, uh, Acts chapter 1, the church is about to begin. And I want you to look at verse 6. Okay, Jesus appears on the scene. He's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Uh, and the very first thing they do, they, the disciples did, they gathered around Jesus and they asked him, uh, Lord, Jesus, are you going at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now the time? Is now the end? Is this the time where you're going to rule and reign and be the lion? Is this the time? Uh, they want to know the time. Give me details. Uh, and Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his authority. One more time. It's not for you, disciples. It's not for you, disciples at the church at Walloon, to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. That's not our business. That's not our job. Uh, but I want a chart. I want times. I want dates. I want the details. Let me say it again. It's not for us to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Instead, what's our duty? Look at verse 8. This is, this is good. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, no, I'm sorry, but I'm not giving you the details. You're not going to get charts. You're not going to get everything. I'm not just going to lay it out for you like you would like me to do. Not going to happen. Uh, instead, look at verse 8. Your duty as my followers is in the power of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Your, your focus, proclaim what Jesus has done on the cross, proclaim what Jesus has done in your life, and you just go and share that every chance you get till I return. That's our responsibility. Um, and I'm just telling you, today, we're just like the disciples here in Acts. We're just like the disciples in, in Matthew 24. Uh, Lord, Lord, give me the date. Give me time. Uh, let, let's get a big chart up here on the wall and we'll have everything laid out perfectly. And I just want you to know, no, that's not God's plan for us. God's plan is focus on sharing what I've done in your life. Be my witnesses. I'm not going to lay it all out in, in great detail, and that's not the purpose of the book of Revelation. You can turn to Revelation 6 now. That's not the reason we have the book of Revelation. Uh, instead, this book was given to struggling, suffering 
Jesus followers in the first century. Give me your eyes. What's the context? This was written to followers of Jesus who were getting creamed. They were under persecution. Many of them were dying because they loved Jesus and dared speak about him. This book is given in context, first of all, to suffering, persecuted martyrs who are dying and suffering for their Savior, Jesus Christ. And, give me your eyes, it's given today for people who are in the same situation. And did you know that millions upon millions upon millions, most guesses, hundreds of millions of Christians today are suffering because they love Jesus and they speak up about Jesus as his witnesses. Now see, we forget that because pretty much we get a free pass, don't we? For most of us, it doesn't cost us very much to love Jesus. But I'm just telling you, worldwide, right now, hundreds and hundreds of millions of brothers and sisters in Christ are paying a price. This book was written to bring comfort to them, to bring hope and encouragement. Keep speaking up. Keep talking about me. That, that's the reason this book, not so that we could have it all laid out on nice charts. Okay? So the visions and the seals and the bowls and the trumpets, you're going to get familiar with those in the weeks to come. Did you know that? Uh, the, the visions and the seals and the bowls and the trumpets given to encourage Christians to not quit. Don't give up. Persevere. Keep going. Even if it costs you something to live for Jesus, keep going. And this is the encouragement that John is given to give to Christians down through the centuries. Now, we spent last fall seven Sundays looking at seven churches. Do you remember that? Go back, look at Revelation 2 and 3, okay? And you look at it and you say, yep, and uh, most of those seven churches were getting squeezed and pressed and were suffering. And what was their crime? They loved Jesus and lived for Jesus and spoke up for Jesus. And I'm going to say it again. And hundreds of millions of our brothers and sisters today, 2015, are getting squeezed and pressed and persecuted, and their only crime is they love Jesus. So don't forget the reason for Revelation 6 through Revelation 19 is to say to those getting pressed and squeezed and martyred and persecuted, hold on, don't quit, keep on speaking up for Jesus and the cross, hang in there, persevere to the end. That's the reason these words are written. Because one day soon, listen, one day soon our Savior and our King and the Lion is going to grab the title deed and this is really going to happen here on planet Earth. And this brings encouragement and hope and confidence for those who are suffering. You know what? Uh, all those who, who love Jesus, this is hope. And all those who say to Jesus, uh, uh, no thank you, I'm right and you're wrong, they say that to Jesus, then this is going to be their destiny. And it's, it's ugly. And we're going to look at that in the weeks to come, okay? Let's stand. We're going to read the first eight verses out loud together. Revelation chapter 6. 
Ready to read? Here we go. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth let's pray lord we just want you to know that that's not very pleasant what we just read uh, matter of fact uh, this picture is pretty disturbing um, and uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty hard to swallow so lord i'm, I'm asking that you'll help us uh, not just today, but for weeks and months ahead to uh, understand what's going on as we read this very last book that you have had John write down for us. Lord, uh, I, I pray that we'll see very clearly what's going to happen to those who refuse to repent, who refuse to say, I'm wrong and Jesus is right. Uh, may the reality of what's in store for them cause us to wake up and motivate us to speak up and talk about what you've done in our lives, to talk about the cross, to talk about the shed blood, to talk about the empty tomb every opportunity we get. Because the truth is, Lord, we realize that most of our family and most of our friends and most of our neighbors and most of the people we work with and most of the people around us at school, uh, most of them have never said yes and believed the gospel facts for themselves. So Lord, uh, help us, even as we read these hard-to-read words, be motivated to speak up for you. Because Lord, we have uh, the words of life. We have the answer and the solution for their greatest problem. And that's that they're uh, headed for a Christless eternity. Lord, I pray for the millions upon millions upon millions of brothers and sisters in Christ who today are suffering and getting squeezed. And some of them are being murdered and slaughtered and their only crime is they love your son Jesus and live and speak up for him. So, Lord, I pray for grace. I, I pray for comfort. I pray for perseverance for each and every one of them 
and help them to stand strong till the end. We invite your spirit now to come and settle and take charge in your church this morning. May your word and your spirit come alive and rule and reign in hearts and minds and wills. And all the church gathered at Walloon said with one loud voice, you may be seated. A um, few uh, reminders before we dig in here. Um, here we go. The symbolism of the apocalyptic writing in this section, uh, in case you haven't read through uh, chapters 6 through 19, is difficult <laughs> and challenging and hard and sometimes really obscure and could go a lot of directions. So that's the first thought. Um, I'm reading from multiple sources. Um, I'm reading from 10, 12, 15, depending on the chapter, different sources, trying to understand what's going on. And uh, surprise, you ready? Here's a surprise. Um, on all these different details, um, many of these really smart guys disagree with each other. Isn't that surprising? Shocking, isn't it? That, that Christians don't agree uh, and there are multiple disputing views on a lot of what we're going to talk about today and months to come. Matter of fact, just let me show you one example. Uh, look at verse 2. Uh, it says, I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider had a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Um, some that I studied this week, they said, that's, oh, that's Jesus on the white horse. Because anytime there's a white horse, that's Jesus. And they go on to explain why they're pretty sure that's Jesus. And other smart guys and gals said, no, no, that's not Jesus. That's actually the opposite. That's the Antichrist. So that's the false one that Satan puts up. And uh, he's coming and uh, he's making peace. And it's only going to be temporary. And still others say, no, this represents the gospel advancing to the ends of the earth. And they make their case, and you read it, and you say, yeah, that, that's, okay, I can see that. And, and then I, I read the next guy, and he says, no, no, that's sin and warfare advancing, and is preparation for the war to follow. Are, are you tracking with me? Do you, do you understand? And they all are really smart. So um, as I look at all the different views from really godly, smart people, just reminds me, for me, maintain some proper humility here. Because I don't know all the facts. I don't understand every detail perfectly. And frankly, neither do the commentators. Are you ready? And, and neither do we. Okay, That's just the truth. Uh, therefore, I would say, and write this down if you would, if you're taking notes, here we go. Uh, on non-essentials, there is room for different views. On the non-essentials, there's room for different views. Okay, let me just say, there are essentials. Uh, grace alone through Christ alone. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus on the cross and his shed blood for our sin problem. Um, uh, we need to believe in Jesus by faith and receive him as Savior and Lord for salvation. Give me your eyes. 
those are essentials. There's no give on those. There's no, those are things that if, if someone puts the sword to our, our neck and says, okay, deny the essentials or die, those are the things we need to be able to say, hello, Jesus, here I come, okay? Um, on the essentials, we go to the wall. On the essentials, uh, we're willing to even suffer and die. But on the non-essentials, on Romans 14, disputable matters, um, there's room for a variety of different convictions. Um, here's what I mean. Romans 14, 23, write it down or you can look it up if you want. But it talks about that each of us are supposed to have personal convictions on disputable matters. Those are matters where honest, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled people can come to different conclusions. Want an example? Okay. Where should you send your children to school? Want to start a good fight? Let's, let's all vote, and we'll decide today where every one of our children should be schooled. Okay? Let's, let's just solve that. Okay? And, and by the way, we'll, just, we'll decide right now on what version of the Bible all of us can, we can only read this one. Okay? Let, let's, let's decide on that and whether we should, any of us should have a, a television in our house or not. Um, anyway, you understand? I, I'm just telling you on those issues, you can come to different conclusions, but you need to have personal convictions. In other words, I need to go before Jesus and have him show me, and once he shows me for me, I'm not, gonna, I'm not compromising. Okay? But, but there is liberty in disputable matters where each person must go to Jesus for those. Okay, so here's my point. I'm not going to fight or argue or break fellowship over where you send your children to school, short of sending them to the school of Satan. Okay, you know, you can always come up with something. Okay, but in general, as long as it's one of the, the, the disputable options, no, we don't break fellowship over that. I'm not going to break fellowship over the translation of the Bible that you read as long as it's one of the solid translations. Tracking? Here's, here's, my, here's my instruction, okay? Translation of the Bible. Read the one that you will read. If you'll read it and you'll dig in, that's the one you should read, okay? Um, but we don't break fellowship over that and we don't break, give me, give me your eyes, this is the point. We don't break fellowship over the symbolic details of Revelation 6 to 19. Because there's room for godly people to disagree. And I, and I just want you to know that going in. Unity and grace and liberty should reign in the non-essentials. Or as Roman 14 calls it, the disputable matters. So, Having said that, that's kind of my uh, lawyerly preamble before I dive in. Uh, I'll give you my best shot each week. And I understand, as I give you the best I got each week, I understand sometimes you're going to disagree with me. And I understand some of you will say, well, that's not what Dr. Jeremiah says, or that's what, not what... Uh, uh, the Left Behind series said, or that's not what your favorite, your favorite preacher or author said. I, I get it. I really, really do. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to give you uh, the best I got. 
Um, and can we please allow grace and liberty to abound on the non-essentials? Is that okay? I, I, need, you, I need you to respond. Is, is that okay? Yes, okay. I got you. That's firm and binding. Okay. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Jesus opens the first of four seals for us, uh, verses 1 through 8. And as he opens each seal, a horse and a rider ride out. Uh, horses are usually symbols of man's strength. Man's strength. Uh, the four horses seem to be linked to one another. In other words, there seems to be a progression and a linkage between each of the horses. And as the seals are open, they're kind of like a snowball. Some of you who build snowmen, uh, anybody built a snowman yet this year? Can I see your hands? Yeah, okay. You start small, and as you move that puppy along, what happens? What happens? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what happens as each seal gets opened here. As we go, uh, the snowball gets bigger and stronger and more violent and more deadly. Okay. I watched the lamb open the first of the seven seals, heard one of the four living creatures say, in loud thunder, come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. He was given a crown. He rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Um, lots, of, lots of study, lots of looking at all. I think both Daniel 9 and Matthew 24 that's why Revelation is tough, is because a lot of it you have to go back to see what Jesus and the Old Testament prophets had to say about this day. Okay? But they both speak of a pretend Christ, an imitator of Jesus who gains worldwide attention who comes on the scene. So I think it makes sense that the very first rider on the horse is the Antichrist. Um, he's the counterfeit of Jesus. And he's offering, look at verse 2, a false peace. Okay? Gets them to buy in, sign in accord, and, and it seems like he, he doesn't, he, he's got uh, a bow but no arrows. So he's out, and um, there's a lot of contrast between this and Jesus in Revelation 19. And I won't take the time because we're already running out of time, but um, there's a lot of reasons why I don't think this is Jesus. Uh, second seal, verse 3, when a, the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth, to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Red seems to represent blood, uh, seems to represent war. And as peace is removed, that's what it says, verse 4, worldwide war breaks out on a scale. I know we've had world wars, but never on this scale. Worldwide war. And millions of people are going to die. Millions. We'll see that in a little bit. Third seal open, verse 5. When the Lamb opened the seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and don't damage the oil and the wine. 
Um, normally, in good economic times, um, a worker could earn 8 to 12 quarts of wheat. Tracking? So, you know, and, and normally, a quart of wheat is what a normal uh, person would consume daily. Does that make sense? So, you know, you could earn enough for your family and, and some extra. Uh, but it says during this time, the result of war is famine and economic collapse. And now in world war, you can only buy one quart of wheat for a day's wage. So if you've got a large family, that's a problem. You're out there working, but you can only earn enough to feed one person. Do you see the problem? There's, there's not enough food to go around. The fourth seal, verse 7. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I saw under... Well, I, I went too fast. I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And that horse and that rider, they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. Um, that fourth horse is pale green. It's the co color of spoiled meat. You ever had meat go bad? And you know how it gets, it gets this weird kind of greeny and it almost looks like the rainbow's in there a little bit? <laughs> Run. Okay, that's, that's, what's, that's the color of this horsey, okay? Uh, war and famine lead the way, and what follows is plagues and disease, and it's ugly, and following war and plagues and disease is death. Hades literally means the place of death or hell. Um, this, in other words, think about it. War, famine, disease, lots of dead people who don't know Jesus who are going to make their way to Hades or hell. That's, that's the idea. Matter of fact, so many, it says, verse 8, that one-fourth of the earth's population will be wiped out. I did some checking. Right now, there are 7.2 billion people on planet earth, which works out to uh, one-fourth, if it was today, that would be 1.8 billion people. And you're thinking, well, that's a lot of people. Well, let me put this in perspective for you. That equals the death for all the people in, give me, give me your eyes, every person is dead in the United States, Indonesia, Brazil, Pakistan, Nigeria, Bangladesh, Russia, Japan, Mexico, and most of the Philippines. That's 1.8 billion people dead. So uh, that's ugly. Now what seems to be happening, look at the first eight verses. I want to just give you the, the big picture. God's judgment here is he removes his restraining hand and he just allows people to show evil and depravity to one another. This isn't God actually throwing wrath on them. All he does is he says, okay, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove my restraining hand and now human evil is left unchecked and it grows 
and it attacks one another, and you'll see we just self-destruct when we just go at each other in the flesh with evil and wickedness. So, so again, um, the first four seals and the horses and their riders, we see evil and sin spiraling out of control. One writer said it this way, human depravity running its course. I, I don't want us to miss this. Sin is destructive. And that's not usually how we look at sin. We see here, though, first eight verses, gruesome living color when men and women just go full bore into their sinfulness. It's awful. It's dangerous. It's, it's wickedness run wild. And, and I just want you to see that sin destroys. Now, usually we're thinking in our head, no, no, sin is something fun that I'm told I can't do. Um, but I'm just telling you, no, no, sin destroys you and it destroys me. And it devastates us all. Sin's all around, whispering, tempting, luring. Uh, you're missing out. You got to do that. Drift away from Jesus. You'll be great. No, no, drift away from Jesus and you are in great danger. Ah, it's just one of, it's a little sin. It's, 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 it's something that everybody else does and it's not hurting anybody. That's how we think about sin. I just want you to look. This is sin in all of its ugliness presented because the Lord says, okay, have at it. It's like Romans 1, you go for it. And when people go for sin and God says, it's all yours, they kill each other. It destroys us. Sin destroys marriages, sin destroys reputations, sin destroys careers, sin turns a relationship with Jesus into religion and rules, it numbs our soul, it makes Jesus seem far away. First eight verses, sin allowed to run its course, it's awful. Fifth seal, verse nine. Um, and we go from earth to heaven. When he opened the fifth seal, that's Jesus again, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told, Wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and their sisters, were killed just as they had been. That, that last verse, if you, wow. Um, these are the prayers of the martyrs. These are the prayers of those who've died and been murdered, slaughtered. Why? Because they dared speak up for Jesus right here. They're crying out for divine justice. They're crying out... God, give us vengeance. Romans 12, is it verse 18? I think it is. Romans 12, 19 says, Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. So the Lord says, it's my job, it's my duty to take revenge. And these martyrs are all they're saying is, okay, we, we know that verse. Uh, how much longer, Jesus, before you unleash your wrath, your vengeance on these evil people who slaughtered and murdered us? How much longer? It's time, don't you think, Jesus? So, here are, 
here's kind of the, the big question. Who are these martyrs? Who, who are these people who are in the fifth seal here? You ready? Here's the three options. Number one, if you're taking notes, these are martyrs who've died throughout church history. All the way from the, the, after the disciples and even them all the way through church history. Um, the problem with that is it seems like he's talking about the people who've just died in this slaughter. Uh, second option, martyrs are those who became Christians after the rapture. Um, if, if you believe in a pre-trib rapture, then the rapture happens before 6-1. You tracking with me? So these are people who, after the church is raptured, become followers of Jesus, and now as they live for Jesus, they die for their faith in Jesus. Okay? Option number three. These are martyrs from the church worldwide who have died between the fifth and the sixth seal, okay? So up to verse 11, give me your eyes, I want you to understand, and the rapture occurs after verse 11, and then the wrath is gonna come. So everywhere in scripture I could take you to 20 places where God says, I don't punish, I don't show my wrath, my vengeance on my children. So I can say with a lot of, assurance that the rapture is going to take place before verse 12. But up to verse 12, that's man going after man. Are you tracking with me? So it could be that it's people who die before verse 12. The rapture was that. First Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, you can do your homework. Um, so the question is, uh, does the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, does that happen before verse 1 or before verse 12? Um, give me your eyes. This is going to be a little controversial, okay? Can you handle? A little disputable. Uh, most of us preachers, most of us commentators, Left Behind series, how many of you read it? Okay. Uh, we say, oh yeah, the rapture happens before 6-1. Um, but those who've lived through war, those who are in persecution, those who are suffering right now, most of them say, no, no, the rapture doesn't happen before 6-12, when God is about to pour out his wrath on earth. Um, and they would argue this stuff here in verses 1 through 11, it's happening and has happened all through church history. Followers of Jesus have been martyred and slaughtered and persecuted on a smaller scale throughout history. This is just a little bigger scale. Okay, so now the question is, Pastor Jeff, well, what do you think? You ready? Well, I hope and pray that the Left Behind series is right, okay? I really hope that Jesus rescues us, his church, before 6-1. I think if we had a vote here, how many would agree we, we, we would like not to have to have this hanging over heads all in favor? I, pretty, pretty unanimous. Having said that, I won't be surprised if I'm wrong and it's 612. I hope, I pray, that's most of my teaching and training, but as you dig in, you say, you know, because hundreds of millions of Christians are suffering right now today. What makes us think that, well, uh, we have this special bubble around us and Christians in America will never have to pay, will never have to suffer. 
We'll never have to go through any of this. Um, okay. Seal number six. I've got five minutes, so listen fast, okay? Uh, verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. Stars in the sky fell to earth. Figs dropped from a fig tree. When shaken by a strong wind, the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. One writer said, I was teaching this in Hawaii and they paid real close attention when I got to verse 14. All the islands will be removed. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks. And they called out to Jesus and said, Save us! Is that what they say? They, they pray to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. Hide us from the lamb. Hide us for the great day of wrath has come. And who can stand it? Now that's stubborn. Is that not stubborn? They know why they're being judged. They know why justice and vengeance is on them. And they still say, uh, Jesus, I'm right and you're wrong. And I will not repent and I will not do it your way. I would rather pray to rocks than cry out to you. Is that not stubborn? And they are terrified and they are helpless and uh, they say, Jesus, I'm right, you're wrong. Now, this should bring some measure of hope uh, as we look at the justice, the righteousness, the holy judgment side of Jesus. Now, most of it, we don't think of Jesus this way very often, do we? Uh, he loves and he cares and he's gentle. Yes, he is the lamb, but he's also the lion. And for those who've suffered and endured hardship and been slaughtered and martyred and persecuted, here's the message to them. You know what? The lion is going to have payback. The lion will make all those wrongs right. The lion is not going to turn his back on evil and allow wickedness and rebellion to win the day. There is a part of us that that should bring some hope and some confidence to. And here's what I like. Jesus doesn't just stand on the throne and say, oh, am I going to fry you? Watch this, and he's pouring it out starting in verse 12. Jesus did something for sinful, depraved, prone to wander you and me. Do you know that? He's not just sitting up there and saying, just go to eternal wrath, all of you. Jesus took on a human body, lived a sinless life. Jesus took our place on a Roman cross. Jesus allowed his blood to be shed for our greatest problem. And what's my greatest problem? Tell me. And what's your greatest problem? You're a sinner. Yeah, so Jesus took our place, uh, had the solution to our sin problem, took our place in the tomb, and early on Sunday morning defeated sin and Satan and death. Therefore, look back here, starting in verse 12, all these people who are feeling the vengeance and the wrath of the lion, Jesus Christ, they're all without excuse. 
They know, look at the end, they know who's bringing them right. It's the lamb. And yet they still refuse to say, Jesus, you're right and I'm wrong. I repent and I turn to you. So the sinless lamb becomes the righteous judge and all of humanity that, that is saying, no, thank you, I don't want you, are going to pay the price. And I'm just going to say it one more time. That should bring us some hope and some confidence that all of the evil and all of the wickedness and all of the wrong in this world, there is a day it's going to be made right. And we're looking at part of that even right here. Bow your heads, shut your eyes as we close. Lord, I acknowledge that uh, when sin runs its course, it's ugly. When uh, sin breaks out in our own lives, and uh, we just go for it, it's destructive. And many of us here today still have scars to prove it when we've uh, run away from you and refused to say, Jesus, you're right and I'm wrong. I pray for your church here at Walloon. Lord, uh, we still have an old sin nature that likes to run and... Uh, Lord, we recognize that sin still has deadly and destructive consequences. Lord, may each of us realize that sin is a big deal. Even the, what we call small sins, things that we think we're getting away with, things that we think aren't hurting anybody, are so significant that you went to the cross for them. Wake us up to the fact, Lord, that sin is a big deal. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who's refused to repent and say, Jesus, you're right and I'm wrong, may today their hearts and their minds and their wills be softened. And I pray that even today they might recognize, you know what, Jesus, you're right and I'm wrong. I've been arguing, I've been thinking I'm right, and Jesus, you're wrong, but today, I need to repent. And Lord, if there's anybody in that situation, even right now, make them aware of how dangerous of a position they're in. If they're still saying, I'm right, Jesus, you're wrong. Show them the consequences, even, even from Revelation chapter 6. Anybody realize? I, I've been thinking wrong on this matter, and today it's become clear, Jesus, you're right, I'm wrong, I need to repent. And Lord, you've, uh, you've woken me up, and today I'm ready to realize, Jesus, you're right, and I'm the one who's been wrong. Anybody? I'd love to pray with you. Don't want to assume everybody here is a follower of Jesus. That's great if you are, but I suspect we may have some of you who aren't. Yeah. Lord, thank you for even hard sections of your book. Teach us today and in the weeks to come uh, good stuff that we need to learn from you. You're awesome. We love you. Thanks that we get to gather and study together as your church body. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray every one of these things.